Purple Mafia with your host, Paladino Joey. Well, we'll see. The doctors would disagree, but what do they know? So let's just say that you'll pay me because it's in your interest to pay me. Is it worth it? I mean, you've won. You want to wipe everybody out? I don't feel I have to wipe everybody out, Tom. It's just my enemy. That's all. My father taught me many things. He taught me, keep your friends close, put your enemies close. These are wonderful things that we've achieved, and there's no limit to where we can go from here. Welcome to the family here on Purple Mafia. Today is Monday, February the 8th, 2010 or 2010 or whatever. And this is episode number 58 of Purple Mafia. Yes, two weeks after the most recent episode because I took the week off last week. The Vikings, of course, were not playing. Nobody was playing oh, except the Pro Bowl. And uh, yeah, Bryant McKinney was kicked off that Pro Bowl team. How, how nice of him. We appreciate it. Representing the Vikings well. Thanks for that, Brian. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, let's get to the gift today. Yeah, yeah, I uh, was I was going to boycott the Super Bowl, but I gave in and watched it. Yeah, I watched the Super Bowl. So I'm sure a lot of you out there did as well, despite the fact we were just a little bit bitter, just a little bit frustrated seeing yet another team pass the Minnesota Vikings onto the Super Bowl and actually win it this time. Yep, they actually won it. The Atlanta Falcons, who beat the Vikings in 98, did not win. The Giants in 2000 also did not win. The Redskins in 87 did. Granted, the Redskins were the heavy favorite in that deal. So that's a totally different situation. The Saints were slightly favored. Yeah, you get the idea. Well, we're going to talk about the Super Bowl today. We're also going to talk briefly about John Randall getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. And I've said already pretty much what I'm going to say about Brian McKinney (laughs) getting kicked off the Pro Bowl. Maybe I'll throw another little talker on that. I don't even care about it at this point in time. The Pro Bowl, well, Brian McKinney did the Vikings a disservice pretty much just being a typical Miami Hurricane and uh, playing when he wants to play and partying when he wants to party. Miami Hurricanes, they're just they're kind of in and out. That's pretty much what the... (laughs) <laughs> that's pretty much what the tell is of the Miami Hurricanes have been in the NFL. Ultra-talented, but not always ultra-productive to their level of talent in the National Football League. All right. So that's the idea. Of course, as mentioned, Purple Mafia, episode number 58, and um, which is Purple Mafia, also available on thesportstuff.com and on iTunes. I thank each and every one of you always for downloading and listening to this show. Because without you, well, I wouldn't have uh, I wouldn't have this show doing as well as it is. So I appreciate it always. Please do tell a friend, those of you out there that do listen to this show. And uh, it's been a fantastic season covering the National Football League. I'm not going away, but it probably won't be weekly. It probably won't be every single Monday, let's just say. And generally when I do a Purple Mafia, it will be Mondays. It just might not be every single Monday because there isn't a game every week anymore. In fact, there isn't going to be a game until, what, August? For some preseason football, that's when it'll be more regular. Granted, probably July is when we'll be talking more regular football. Though, of course, the offseason is always interesting. It always is. And this offseason will probably not be any different in terms of the interest level. The only problem is it might be a little bit more frustrating than ever. (laughs) Because the NFL lockout deal going on, possibly also the Vikings, uh, the way things stand right now, the Vikings would have to lose a free agent in order to sign one. And unfortunately, one of the guys the Vikings may lose could be Chester Taylor. God dang it. Yep, that's right. Chester Taylor might be headed to the Chicago Bears. At least that's some of the early talk going on right now. Um, that's one of the early reports. No guarantee right now. Though, I'm going to bring this up right now really quickly before I get into the Super Bowl talk. Really quick. I'm going to kind of bounce a little bit. I'm going to conclude with John Randall talk. So a little bit of early Viking stuff. Uh, a guy who could be a possible uh, replacement for Chester Taylor at the running back position and also could be a nice kind of a 
a veteran to kind of steady Adrian Peterson. This was brought up on other shows in this town also. Uh, well, how about this? Chargers running back LaDainian Tomlinson, former running back LaDainian Tomlinson of the Chargers, will not be uh, returning to them. He already made that announcement. And, of course, he doesn't expect to be a starter. I couldn't imagine at this point in his career. And uh, it'd be uh, pretty cool to have LaDainian Tomlinson as a number two running back if we had to lose Chester Taylor. And, of course, I would be... Very sad to see Chester Taylor leave. He is one of the best third-down backs in the league. He has just been so clutch on those third downs, oftentimes receiving in this West Coast offense, receiving those first-down catches, those passes that become first downs, and breaking a couple tackles to get there as well. Yeah, Chester Taylor has just been so invaluable. And uh, if he leaves, it'd be be, uh, pretty sad for me, to be honest. And I'm sure a lot of you out there may agree with that. Chester Taylor, an absolute stud. And I will contend... I will contend forever. Chester Taylor, 2006 most valuable player. It's just figures that the most valuable player of the Vikings ended up uh, getting usurped by Adrian Peterson the next year. It just figures, um, though, hey, you can't pass on Adrian Peterson despite the fact he is the fumble king right now. And uh, hopefully a guy like Ladanian Tomlinson could help Adrian Peterson grow up a little bit in that area. Possibly, and I mentioned on the previous show, Consulting a guy like Marshall Falk might not hurt either. It really might not. Consulting him some way or the other. Marshall Falk or even Robert Smith. Those guys never fumbled, man. They never fumbled. Never, never, never fumbled. Once in a blue moon. And um, it'd be terrific for Adrian Peterson to try to, to try to learn from them just a little bit. It really would. And then just maybe, maybe, just maybe, if a certain 40-year-old quarterback would return to the Minnesota Vikings... Or if we can possibly get another big-name guy in here like a Donovan McNabb or who knows. I know some of you out there are already bored with the McNabb conversation, but who knows? And I don't think that'll happen. It's just because it, because it never will. It's been brought up for years, and it never will happen. But um, who knows? Who knows? Who would have thunk Brett Favre would be here anyway? So, Or we get lucky in the draft, or we get uh, make a big trade and try to get somebody like Tim Tebow or uh, McCoy from Texas. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen, I guess, at this point. So, we're going to dive into the Super Bowl talk right after this. And we are back here on Purple Mafia, which is episode number 58, which is a reminder for iPod users, MP3 player, whatever you want, and Microsoft Zoom. Yep, let's get on to the Super Bowl. And as I said, yes, I did watch it. I gave in. <laughs> but of course I was going to watch it. The Saints used to be one of my f- favorite teams in the NFL. They were the, one of the great underdogs. I mean, who doesn't like rooting for an underdog? And of course, you know, when they don't stand in your way to get to the Super Bowl, it's a little different. This time they did. And uh, my God, folks, I'm going to say this to my grave. <laughs> the Vikings were literally inches from a possible world championship this year inches from a possible world championship and uh, to think that the Vikings were the better team and the New Orleans Saints are world champions today wow what does that tell you and it's just the constant the constant deal where it just rubs it in you know the NF we just seem to get this rubbed in our face for years and years and years and decades and decades and decades it is just it's heartbreaking as I mentioned of course last episode the curse of 69, the curse of Super Bowl Four. the Kansas City Chiefs, kind of a little upstart team, came in and beat the Minnesota Vikings with quarterback Glenn Dawson. Yeah, I'm going to get to him in a little bit, too, at the end here, at the end of the Super Bowl talk. Uh-huh, yep, Glenn Dawson, the quarterback of the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, an upstart team. They won the championship, we didn't, and they still have their, they, of course, have their one championship. We still have none. Oh, mm. It's just an endless deal with that. And, of course, over the years, we've seen other teams who have had uh, either really bad history or they say they've lost in the Super Bowl or whatever. You know, like the Denver Broncos emerged in the late 90s. They passed the Vikings in history. They won two championships in the late 90s. John Elway and all that good stuff. The Vikings could have beaten the Broncos in two situations where they had heartbreaking losses in the NFC Championship game. Dallas Cowboys beat the Vikings on the Drew Pearson push-off play. In the 1975 NFC Championship game, the Cowboys rolled over the uh, Denver Broncos in that Super Bowl. And, of course, uh, Darren Nelson dropped the pass from Wade Wilson in the uh, 1987 championship. 
Denver Broncos were obliterated by the Washington Redskins. Yeah. So instead, the watch the uh, Denver Broncos move on and win two Super Bowls in the late '90s. So there's one team that's rolled over the Vikings and become a champion before we did. They're just rubbing it in our face. Yeah, the New England Patriots were inept pretty much forever. Their one Super Bowl appearance before 2001, of course, was an absolute drubbing by the Chicago Bears. Just destroyed the New England Patriots. Now they're three-time champions. So there's a team that's passed the Vikings in the recent, in pretty recent years. Yeah, 2001 isn't that long ago. It really isn't. The Atlanta Falcons, well, they didn't usurp the Vikings to a championship, like, but they usurped the Vikings. They were a team that never even been to the Super Bowl, and they passed us and made it to the Super Bowl. Um, uh, it just never ends. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, one of the most inept franchises in NFL history. They passed us. They didn't beat us in a game, necessarily, in the playoffs. No, they didn't, but they uh, moved on and won a championship before we did. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. The St. Louis Rams, a, uh, a team that had good history in the 70s, and in the late 80s they went to the NFC Championship game. No Super Bowl championships, however. They went on and won one in 99. Oh, goody. Just terrific. The Arizona Cardinals get to the freaking Super Bowl. The Arizona Cardinals, one of the most inept franchises ever, gets to the Super Bowl. And they were inches also if they could have played a little defense there in that final drive of the Pittsburgh Steelers last season. Arizona Cardinals almost won it. But, of course, they got there before we have since 1976. That's a long time ago. And, um... And now, folks, the granddaddy of them all, arguably the worst team in NFL history, win-loss-wise. Well, it was the Bucks for the longest time, and I believe the Saints. Yeah, he could pretty. Much, I believe it was the Saints. I didn't look up the numbers, but uh, I don't think I really even have to to prove it. The New Orleans Saints, probably the worst team in NFL history overall. They hadn't won a playoff game in 25 years until they snuck into the second round. They beat the Rams in 2000. And when the Vikings drubbed them, yeah. And, of course, the Saints getting all the way to the NFC Championship game for the first time ever, drubbed by the Bears. Now the New Orleans Saints, who, yeah, broke the Vikings' hearts two weeks ago, are world champions. So that's my lead end into the Super Bowl conversation. It took a while. I, <laughs> but it's just, it's just, it's just a reflection on how frustrated my, myself I myself am with how things have gone for the for the Vikings and, and us fans. It really is frustrating. And of course, I'm not coming up here to rub it in your face. Are you kidding me? I'm not rubbing it in your face. Why would I rub it in your face? Because I'd be rubbing it in my own. I'm one of you in the biggest way. I want to win so bad. And it's just, it's just saying how frustrated are you folks out there? To see all these teams pass the Vikings and either win the Super Bowl or at least get there and be damn close to winning it, like the poor Cardinals. Falcons weren't close, but yeah, they still got there. It's it's very frustrating. The Vikings have good history. They've been to as many playoff games as just about anybody. I believe second most all time to the Dallas Cowboys, but just they still no championship. Dallas Cowboys have five freaking championships. It's just it just it just makes you see, doesn't it? And yes, watching the New Orleans Saints winning a championship, even though I kind of like the Saints, kind of. I used to really like them just because, you know, you like to root for an underdog. But after that game two weeks ago, the <laughs> yeah, it just it just sticks in your craw. It really does. Crawfish. Ooh, there you go. New Orleans crawfish. Mm, it just drives me nuts. It really does. <sighs> and they beat the former, yeah, you could say this a quadrillion times. Archie Manning's son, you know, the former New Orleans Saint, who was one of the Aints, even though he was one of the few Aints that's, that was a legit good player for the poor Saints back in the 1970s. Yeah, they beat his son, who's gone on to be one of the best quarterbacks of all time, four MVPs, which is a record. Peyton Manning, they beat him. Yeah, they beat him in the Super Bowl, 31-17. to But it, uh, it didn't look too good for the Saints early on. It actually really didn't because it looked like it was going to be kind of a grinded-out game, and the Indianapolis Colts have been more successful in those grinded-out games so far in this postseason. They had been, well, they had been successful in the grinded-out games. The Saints were more of a shootout type of team. In fact, that little shootout, I, I guess you could say it was kind of a grinded-out game with the Vikings, but it was a lot of higher scoring in the end. It was a slight grinded-out, I mean, I, I don't know. 
I'm, I, I'm confusing myself with the way I'm going about this, so I apologize. <laughs> uh, it was a fairly high-scoring game, but not as like a shootout, an explosion. Of course, they scored a quadrillion points over the Arizona Cardinals, 45 points. Arizona Cardinals defense is about as good as it was in that final drive against the Pittsburgh Steelers. What a bunch of BS that was, huh? Mm-hmm. Yep. The Saints had to go against better defenses, though, the Vikings and the Colts, but they beat them both. They beat them both, and that son of a gun, Peyton, Coach Peyton of the New Orleans Saints, he is a cocky SOB, man. He really is, but he got it done. That cockiness rubbed off on his players, and it's more of a confidence thing than a cockiness, but when you play against him, you get a little frustrated with it. Going for it on fourth downs, and the SOBs pick it up. Ooh, it just drives you nuts. <laughs> and uh, the, cold, the Saints failed at the goal line in this game, of course. They failed at the goal line, and I was kind of rolling my eyes. You know, you need every point you can get. This looks like it might be one of those grind-out games. This could really come back to bite the New Orleans Saints, who still are trailing 10-0. to zero. Of course, the Colts went up 10-0. to zero. They look decent, but not great. The Colts finally get a field goal halfway through the first quarter. Um, and then at the very end of the first quarter, Garçon, Pierre Garçon, with a, with a reception from uh, Peyton Manning. Nice play in there. Garçon, of course, dropped a very dropped several catchable passes in this game, including one that looked like it really irked Peyton Manning. It was going to be a big gain. The, the Saints were the Saints. The Colts were up ten to ten to three at that point. Garçon just continued to drop the ball. The Colts. This was at the point where it looked like the Colts. If Garcia caught this pass, it may have changed. Uh, it may have changed the game dramatically. Because who knows? The Colts looked like they were going to be marching down. That was about a, it. Would have been a twenty-five yard reception. Payne Manning just did one of those deals where he just went, you know, where he just pounded his head kind of in the direction of where Garcia dropped the pass. Very catchable pass, right on the numbers, right on his hands, and I mean right on his hands. If he had Velcro on his hands and the ball had Velcro on it, it would have stuck like one of those deals. Yeah, like it would have accidentally stuck to him. That's how good of a pass it was by Peyton Manning. He dropped it. Good job, Garçon. Sacre bleu, Garçon. You suck. Okay, enough of that. You get the idea. Um, but he did catch that touchdown beforehand. Peyton Manning uh, looked confident early, looked pissed off later. And that guy has one of the... He gets one of the reddest faces, boy, when he gets pissed off. <laughs> as he was seething, you could just see it. He was seething when those guys were not catching all those passes. And um, Peyton Manning, to a lesser extent, I think he's become the NFL's modern version of Dan Marino. And I'm not saying because lack of championships. I'm saying because, uh, I don't know, this guy, I'm not sure he'd be the kind of guy I'd want to play with. I'm not sure I'd want to play on the same team as Peyton Manning. All the, uh, I don't know. He just seems like the kind of guy who is going to really get pissed off all the time at his teammates and kind of throw them under the bus. In fact, he did that in the past. He's gotten better about it, but he just looks kind of like a pissy guy to me. And he's always sitting by himself. Um, I, I don't know. He's extremely talented, but I'm just not sure he's the best teammate in the NFL. I don't think he is. Drew Brees just seems like a lot... For one, he seems like a lot nicer guy, and he's the other super-duper quarterback. I mean, you had the two best quarterbacks probably in football here outside of Brett Favre, who was in Mississippi, unfortunately, uh, with a lot of soreness, though I'm sure a lot of football players had a lot of soreness this time of year. You can't just center Brett Favre in that one. Um, the Colts did not really get to Peyton Manning in this game. He really did. They really didn't get to Peyton Manning in this game that much. In fact, the, there was only one sack in the whole game, and that was by the injured Dwight Freeney, who started out gimpy, got a, a lot better, got that sack, and then got extremely gimpy as the game wore on. The pressure on Drew Brees was non-existent at that point, and uh, it was more or less the Saints. They forced a huge turnover later in the game. We'll get to that in a sec. And boy, oh boy, <laughs> was that ever uh, fitting too? When you, yeah, was that ever fitting because of who caught that ball and who made the play? Just uh, unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. Um, but Garrett Hartley. Able to make two 40-plus yard kicks, 40, 46, and 44-yarder. Yeah, i got to think that guy's confidence is through the roof. Garrett Hartley, the field goal kicker of the New Orleans Saints, getting both of the field goals, field goal attempts in that uh, second quarter. One at the very end to, to uh, 
the very end of the half to put the Saints in, you know, striking distance, a one possession or less than a touchdown, I guess. More than a field goal, but less than a touchdown, 10 to 6. Yeah, I gotta think his confidence is through, through the roof after kicking the Saints into the Super Bowl, that 40 yard attempt. It's, uh, you know, it wasn't like a 60 yard field goal or anything. But still, when you make a kick like that, your confidence level stays high after something like that. It, it, it just does. It's not like the Buffalo Bills kicker who missed a 19-yarder. The Bills would have won the championship. Instead, they still are looking for a championship, just like our poor Vikings, unfortunately, after that kick. That was the curse of uh, the, <laughs> the curse of the missed field goal for the poor uh, Bills at that point in time. But... Uh, you, you could kind of see that you could definitely see the momentum shifting slowly but surely towards the Indianapolis Colts or New Orleans Saints, excuse me, just like a dark cloud coming in the room, just like a fog coming in the room. It was slowly creeping in. <laughs> it, it really was. It really was. Just like that music I was playing last week. By the way, I'm in a slightly better mood. You might notice that. Just a little bit. I've had two weeks to kind of chill out. <laughs> and it, it was a fairly fun second half. And, uh,. You can also tell I had zero vested into this game. Zero. Other than, I guess it's better to see the Saints win. It's more of a feel-good story than the Colts. It just is. The Colts, well, you get the... Yeah. You, you, you have the cocky uh, coach with the Saints, but you have an even more cocky quarterback with the uh, Colts. Yeah, I think we know who that guy is by now. He just seemed kind of like that mean dude. He, he's just kind of that mean, cocky quarterback. Though, of course, he has a ring. So you also don't feel too much sympathy for the Colts. They have their rings over there, most of them. Um, so that was the end of the half, of course, 10-6. to 6. Real quick, though, because I was doing this during the game, Purple Mafia. I'm going to make this quick, teeny little announcement that might might matter to some of you out there. So I'll say it right in the middle of the show, so you'll all hear about it, hopefully. Purple Mafia has a Twitter account now. Yeah, I could have done this a year ago or a year and a half ago. It would have been nice as the... Show was starting to kind of gain some ground late, late in September or so last year. Maybe it would have been a good idea, because August it wasn't doing so hot. August of 2008, because it was still new and and iron out some bugs. I guess you could say, improve my uh, ability to do this show. I guess you could say, uh, it is twitter.com forward slash purple mafia show. Twitter.com forward slash purple mafia show. Would be nice. Yeah, just follow my Twitter. That will be the deal. Follow my Twitter, and of course, you'll kind of. I try to be somewhat entertaining, a little bit of sarcasm, a little bit of fun. Also, you know, try to keep up with what's going on with the Minnesota Vikings and what's going on with Purple Mafia. So please follow the Twitter one last time. Twitter.com forward slash Purple Mafia Show. That is one word at the end there, of course. One word altogether. Please join it. It would be terrific. Please follow it. You could. Reply with me. We could get into a little bit of Twitter condos. We could tweet each other, you could say. Because I figured, you know, you got to get a Twitter for a show like, uh, for a Vikings show. I mean, I don't know why I didn't do it earlier. Just a dumb idea that I, or dumb of me that I didn't. So, let's get back to the game. Oh, goody, right? Let's get back to the game. The world champion New Orleans Saints. Yeah, I'm in a better mood, but it's not that much better in, in every way. I was... I was a little sad. I was a little irked last night because the Vikings were five yards away from a possible championship. No guarantee they would have won the Super Bowl. And, of course, some of you may say, well, Peyton Manning would have carved up our defense because Antoine Winfield has a uh, Liz Frank. Of course, that's that foot injury. Uh, that's a really messed up injury. And I'm not sure how, uh, I'm not sure to what extent Antoine Winfield is going to recover from that. Very frustrating indeed. But Benny Sapp has, had been above average most of the year, and uh, the Cedric Griffin deal, the ACL injury, that occurred on the kickoff, excuse me, that occurred on the, uh, what am I saying, yeah, that occurred on the kickoff in overtime, so when the Vikings had to kick off to the Saints, so here's the thing, had the Vikings had the opportunity to kick the field goal to get into this quote unquote to get into the Super Bowl or at least have a ninety nine percent chance they'd get in if they stop the other team's uh, return. That that kickoff would have never happened. Now you never know, maybe you would have got hurt on the other kickoff, but what are what are the odds of that though? I mean <laughs> the other the other kickoff where Cedric Griffin got injured, it would have never happened. So mm, just a little bit of back to the future uh 
thoughts right there. I know it's all a bunch of what-ifs, and it's over, and it's done. But just saying, had the Vikings been in the Super Bowl, Cedric Giffen, that injury would have never occurred because the kickoff would have never happened. It would have never happened. At least that that one wouldn't have. So, go figure. <laughs> and, yeah, you never know. It may have happened anyway. So, yeah, whatever. Let's just get back to the game. Third quarter, a lot more interesting. The Saints came out with, uh, well, they did something crazy because the Colts won the coin toss at the start of the game. So the Saints, of course, had to kick off to the Indianapolis Colts. The Saints already gaining a little bit of ground on the Indianapolis Colts. So they do something very crazy. They do something very crazy, something you wouldn't expect in a 10-6 to Super Bowl game. Super Bowl game. This is not uh, trying to sneak into the playoffs. This is not trying to get past the Dallas Cowboys in the second round. Sorry, Jim Towers, but I had to say that. Um, yeah, and we wouldn't have had to do what the Saints did because it wasn't a close game. <clears throat> Excuse me again. <laughs> Jim Towers, co-host of NFL East to West, by the way, at sportsstuff.com and iTunes. Um, an onside kick by the New Orleans Saints, and it worked. It worked, it worked, it worked. The Saints take over on their 40, and they spend a lot of time, a lot of dink and dunk, not a, not a lot of deep passes, but Drew Brees was virtually perfect the whole game, and that son of a gun, Pierre Thomas, did it again. He, he did a Chester Taylor catch and go, just kind of broke some tackles and got into that end zone, and it was a nice play, very similar to the play with the Vikings. Yeah, that son of a gun. <laughs> Very similar to what happened to the Vikings when Pierre Thomas got that touchdown, putting the Saints ahead. He put the Saints up 13-10, to and the Saints, well, mm, the Saints would uh, finally have the lead in this game, and it was like, oh my God, could the Saints actually be on their way to a Super Bowl championship at some point here now that they've built enough momentum that they've taken the lead? Well, not so fast. And Indianapolis Colts weren't quite done yet, as they came pretty much right down the field. Not super fast, more dink and dunk, but a lot of nice completions by Peyton Manning, who was overall decent in this game. The Colts came up with a lot of urgency, and it ended up with Joseph Adai, who pretty much all he does is score touchdowns. Not catch touchdowns, copyright buddy Ryan about Chris Carter, but all he does is score touchdowns. He doesn't get any yards. He just he had 10 touchdowns rushing this year. Joseph Adai finishes a four-yard run. And all of a sudden, the Colts are up 17-13. to 13. It's like, jeez, man. There we go. Finally, this is what we're talking about. Drew Brees and Peyton Manning in a Super Bowl. We expect a little more than 10-6 to 6 in the first half, right? I mean, that was like Jets and uh, Titans or something. I mean, come on. What's going on here? Get to work, guys. So the Saints come back down the field, but they just could not get the first down. They do get in a field goal range, and Garrett Hartley, Mr. Automatic all of a sudden, Garrett Hartley, the young Garrett Hartley, 47 yards out, makes it a one-point game. And all of a sudden, yeah, you got a one-point game. It's starting to look a lot like Saints and Vikings here. <laughs> it really is. But then the Colts are stymied. All of a sudden, the New Orleans Saints defense is looking really good, and guys are dropping passes again for the Indianapolis, uh, Indianapolis Colts. And the Saints get the ball right back, and they go down the field. They go down the field and do something amazing. <laughs> they score a touchdown again right away. Didn't take much time this time, only a four, you know, just a couple minutes here. No, I'm, no, actually, excuse me, I got that totally wrong. I don't know what I'm talking about. Excuse me, this, this was, yeah, I forgot how the fourth quarter was pretty much a grinded out for a while there. Lots of screw-ups along the way. <laughs> no interceptions, but uh, the defenses came to play again. The teams traded off a couple punts. Excuse me. My memory is not serving me correctly. And uh, But then the Saints eventually got the ball. They took forever, though, this time. They took forever. They took a long time. They did kind of what the Vikings did to the Saints last week. They owned the time of possession. The Colts were just like, what's going on here? Uh, Peyton Manning was sitting there wondering what is going on. He, could, he just sat there with his helmet on on the bench. With his helmet on the whole time, the Saints took all the, as much time as they needed, and they eventually were able to score a touchdown, and Jeremy Shockey finally uh, a factor again. 
he kind of had an up and down year. He's, he's had an up and down several years with Jeremy Shockey, that another crazy Miami Hurricane again, who plays when he wants to play, and at least he played this time. And the New Orleans Saints suddenly have a six point or have a have a five point lead because, of course, they were down by one. So the Saints wisely opt to go for two. Drew Brees throws it to the shortest guy on the team. You'd think you'd want a guy with a little longer arms on a play like this. <laughs> Though he can break a couple tackles. He's got a little bit of Percy Harvin in him. He's a little older than Harvin, and of course he was undrafted, so now it's glitzy. Lance Moore, the guy from New Orleans. And the shortest guy on the team, basically, or one of the shortest guys on the team, shortest receiver, Lance Moore is able to stretch out and and get it after a replay. They called it a drop at first. The ball was basically kicked out of Lance Moore's hands by the Colts defender. Kicked out of Lance Moore's hands, but the ball was already over the pylon. And this thing was barely, man. It was barely because Lance Moore's body was out of the end zone, but the ball got in enough, and he had full possession of the ball before it was kicked out by the Colts defender. And, of course, after reviewing the play, it was a touchdown, and or, excuse me, two-point conversion, and the Saints now own a full touchdown lead, basically, 27-17, to seven-point lead. So the Colts, Peyton Manning had that look in his eye again like he's going to murder somebody. <laughs> like he did against the Jets two weeks ago, and he did most of the game when people would drop passes. Peyton Manning was taking them down the field. looked pretty easily. It looked pretty easy. A lot like the Vikings. A lot like the Vikings when they were trying to get into field goal range. You figure, yeah, it looks like the Colts are going to tie this thing up. And then it'll be up to Drew Brees to possibly do a game-ending drive in a world championship. Or who knows? Who knows? Maybe the Colts' defense will step up and we're headed to overtime. And and it's down to a coin toss for a championship. I just love that part of overtime. I think it's kind of frustrating. That's a very debatable topic. We'll get into that some other time. Not now. Even though I could get into it, I'm not going to. And Peyton Manning has the, uh, the Colts. All the way up to the 26-yard line. 26-yard line. So it's looking good for the Colts. The Saints had a few near interceptions, though, on this play. And it was a harbinger of what was to come. It's like, yeah, if the Saints do get an interception here, they're world champions. There's no doubt. World champions. Because, well, maybe not no doubt, but their chances are about are way up. Way up. If they get a pick six, they're world champions. <laughs> And guess what, folks? They got a pick six. They got a pick six. It was on a third and five. The pass was uh, just out of range for for Garcon on the previous play. It looked like the Colts were going to get a first. Well, it would have been a first down, but it was just out of reach for Garcon. This time it was not Garcon's fault quite as much unless his route was, uh, unless he just didn't run his route fast enough. That's up to Peyton Manning and Garcon to tell you what really happened there. But, uh, it was the next play, folks. Tracy Porter. Remember Tracy Porter, folks. That SOB who got that interception that ended the Vikings' hopes for going for a game-winning drive in New Orleans. Yeah, he didn't go for a pick six on that play. The Vikings stopped him right away. Thank God. They stopped him right away, but it didn't matter because overtime, we never saw the ball. The Saints did just enough to get Hartley in the field goal range, and we uh, enough of that crap. Bad memory. But this time, Tracy Porter gets the interception and runs it all the way back, 74 yards. And the New Orleans Saints are world champions. The Colts had one more attempt at it, and uh, it was all for naught. They got a little bit downfield. They had to go for it on fourth down, and that was the end of it. It's another similar play where the Colts just could not get the first down. They were in the 20s again, very similar to the last one. Not an interception. It just They just didn't get the first down. The pass was incomplete. New Orleans Saints, all they had to do was down the ball. And ladies and gentlemen, the New Orleans Saints have won only five playoff games in their history, and they're already a world champion despite the fact, yeah, they've only won five playoff games in their history, and they've had a pretty inept 30-some years of football here. And they're world champions, and we're still waiting, folks. We're still waiting. We're still waiting for that championship. Congratulations to the Saints. And all that, you know, we've heard it about a billion times. You know, we feel bad for the city, all that Hurricane Katrina thing. I respect that, but at the same time, it gets a little old. It gets a little old. It does. 
But uh, in the game, though, I'm gonna I'm gonna respect that, and of course uh, respect those who suffered greatly in that hurricane. Football doesn't cure what happened in a hurricane, though. It doesn't. I know they say winning cures all, but it doesn't necessarily cure people that died or got violently ill from uh, something something that was an act of nature. Not an act of God, no. An act of nature. God did not kill people from a hurricane. So, no, that was an act of nature. He, the Saints are world champions, and uh, that's all there is to it. That's all there is to it. So, as I said, we're still waiting for that championship. And a guy who played a very, very good career for the Minnesota Vikings played in, uh, well, he played in two NFC Championship games for us. Never got that ring. Never got that ring. A guy whose my heart goes out to him. No, his name was not Chris Carter because both were eligible for the induction to Hall of Fame. His name was John Randall. We'll get into him right after this. are back here on Purple Mafia, episode number 58. Again, a reminder for those of you out there that are listening on MP3 players. There, that simplifies things, doesn't it? Welcome back to the show. John Randall. That's right, John Randall, who gave his heart to this team. He was the craziest guy ever. Just the craziest dude ever. One of the greatest Vikings in history, and uh, really a thrill to see him get into the Hall of Fame. John Randall. You talk about a feel-good story with the New Orleans Saints and all that. Well, it's a feel-good story seeing a guy who... Came from a town in Texas, what, that had 150 people in it? 150 people in it, and uh, he was undrafted. He is now a Hall of Famer, folks. John Randall. There, a quick little clap. <laughs> That's the best I can do since I'm here, but yeah, John Randall, congratulations to him. He is now a Hall of Famer. Chris Carter has to wait for a th- third ballot. Chris Carter did not get in in the first or second, of course. He is now going to get in next year. If Well, if he does get in next year, he'd be a third ballot. i got to think next year Chris Carter should get in at that point. Second, second all-time in receptions. Chris Carter, you got to think he's going to get in. But right now, it's about John Randall. John Randall, the guy who wore the face paint, the guy who was an undersized defensive tackle, the guy who just gave his heart to this team defensively, gave his heart to this team, made so many big plays for so long, yet never got a ring. He joined so many other Vikings who didn't, unfortunately. But he also joins the Vikings in the Hall of Fame. The real thing, baby. The Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame. Randall McDaniel, Gary Zimmerman, Carl Eller, Ron Yeri, Paul Krause, Alan Page, and Fran Tarkenton, all members with John Randall. He joins them in the true Hall of Fame. And it is a pretty pretty cool thing indeed. In fact, it's actually been a little while. The most recent, well, no, it hasn't been that long. What am I saying? Other than Randall McDaniel, yeah, it had been a little while. Gary Zimmerman, of course, played on the Denver Broncos. He eventually did get a ring. Denver Broncos did get a ring, and then he retired. Ron Yeri, just a great tackle for the Vikes over the years. Did not get the ring. Defensive tackle, of course, Carl Eller. Or, excuse me, offensive tackle, Ron Yeri. Duh. Carl Eller was a defensive tackle. He got in not too long ago either. Alan Page, Purple People Eaters. So Gary Larson and Jim Marshall still remain in that. And, of course, quarterback Fran Tarkenton, who unfortunately has been on a bitter rant with Brett Favre of late. But we'll move back to uh, we'll move back to John Randall. That's what really matters. Frank Gilliam, of course, was the guy who found John Randall. He was only six foot one, two forty. Yeah, that doesn't sound too small to normal people, but in the NFL, it is for a defensive line. Yeah, he made it. And uh, Frank Gilliam thought that John Randall could make it in the NFL as a defensive line and not a linebacker. Yep, not a linebacker, but defensive lineman. And oh, was he right? Other than that, John Randall came out of tiny Texas A&M Kingsville. Texas A&M Kingsville. Wow, incredible. Other teams thought he was too small to play that position. 
They wanted him to be a linebacker. Randall did not want to play linebacker. He wanted to play defensive line. Um, crazy. Gilliam now jumps in. Frank Gilliam, he was a former Viking long, long ago. John was a down lineman, undersized, height-wise, both Jerry, and then, of course, that's coach Jerry Burns, and offensive coordinator Jerry Burns in the 70s and coach in the 80s. Uh, Jerry and I thought he had the mentality of a defensive lineman rather than a linebacker. Said Gilliam, who was 76 now, retired and residing in Orlando, Florida. Very crazy. Randall, of course, wasn't even drafted in 1990. He was signed as a free agent, and he played his, well, most of his career as a Viking. He eventually moved on to the Seattle Sea Chickens late in his career. Late in his career, a little time with Moon, actually, for a little bit there, believe it or not. Warren Moon was still playing and in his 40s, which we hope Brad Farville for the Vikings at least one more year. Very crazy. Now, Gilliam continues, evidently, we weren't that smart because if we were, we would have drafted him. I guess the whole league wasn't smart on that one. But no one had ever seen him play linebacker. Jerry and I thought of him as a weak side defensive lineman, a pass rushing guy who would have overcame his lack of height. So we kind of held in there and other people stayed away from him. When he didn't get drafted, we were the first guys at his table trying to get him as a free agent. And uh, thank God the Vikings did that. Gilliam continues... He had good explosion, good quickness. He moved well laterally. He had, <laughs> and he had a motor. I mean, geez, he was going like a whirlwind all the time. And yeah, ladies and gentlemen, that's what he was. John Randall was a whirlwind. He was a heck of a beast out there. And a very, very interesting person. Just a very funny guy. Randall, of course, added 50 pounds in his career, putting on lots of muscle. 14 season, <laughs> 14 Seasons in the NFL, he had 137.5 sacks and was chosen to seven Pro Bowls. Frank Gilliam continues. He's pretty much the only guy right now with quotes available to me. Uh, it also worked out that we had a great defense for him, that under and over defense that we played. It was great for John because it singled him up on guys a lot. It was hard for one guy to block John. We thought he had a chance to make it, but we weren't sure. <laughs> but it worked out well for John, and it worked out well for us that we were able to recognize that he was a good football player. And yes, folks, I started watching the Minnesota Vikings in 92. Now, I am old enough at age of 30, turning 31 in July. Oh, goody, right? Definitely old enough to have been a fan of the 80s Vikings, but I just wasn't a football fan that long ago. I could have been, and I wish I was, quite frankly, because the 80s Vikings are an interesting team at very least. Kind of a, you know, they were a cool team, always had a good defense. A lot of those guys still were playing in the early 90s when I moved on, or when I finally started watching football. And John Randall was the first, one of the first guys I noticed. And he was very young back then, you know, we're talking, yeah, he came in in 1990. By 91, 92, he was already becoming a superstar very quickly. In fact, I believe that was his first Pro Bowl back in 92. Vikings had one of the best defenses in the NFL. Of course, Dennis Green's first year as a head coach. That was when he actually looked like a pretty good coach at the time. Oh, God forbid, about six years later, when he took a knee with 50 seconds left to go with the best offense in history. But I digress back to John Randall. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> had to throw that in there. Uh, John Randall, of course, as I mentioned, one of the one of the earliest people I noticed. Him and Chris Carter and Rich Gannon. Yeah, Rich Gannon. One of the early guys I noticed that were just a... Uh, you know, better than people may have been giving him credit. Randall, of course, already was getting credit, though. He was already pretty much getting credit. People were like, this guy's the real deal. Chris Carter was still a little bit under the radar for another year and a half. And, of course, Carter had a shoulder injury that year, unfortunately. Um, but this guy is just a was a tough SOB. And him and Henry Thomas, boy, what a nice little tackle. That was like... They weren't, they weren't the best run stoppers in history, but they put up the, a great pass rush. And uh, they were just fantastic. They were a terror. They were an absolute terror for opposing quarterbacks. And uh, good enough to stop running backs in the backfield, too. Guys like Barry Sanders at, on occasion were a little frustrated at times when they weren't tearing us up. <laughs> at times we were back there in the backfield. That's pretty much how you got Barry Sanders. You got him before he started going, before he started moving at, at all. You had to get him way back there. And John Reynolds was one of the guys that could do it. And uh, my goodness, one of my favorite memories of John Reynolds over the many, many years was his rivalry with Brett Favre. Yep, Brett Favre. <laughs> Who could forget John Randall and Brett Favre over the years? It was an animated thing. 
they were like fr- they were like friendly rivals, yet they were fierce rivals at the same time. I mean, they would smile and laugh at e- laugh at and with each other, yet at the same time they both wanted to kick each other's butt, baby. They wanted to kick each other's butt in the worst way. Um, and who could forget the little chicken commercial? John Randall put a far a tiny little Favre jersey on a chicken, was chasing it around for a while, and then they cut to a scene with John Randall grilling a chicken leg grilling a chicken leg and other parts of the chicken on the grill of course that was taken out because Petey got all offended thinking that oh that that's like condoning uh you know brutality to animals and all that stuff and of course it, it was a joke but the, but people took it too seriously and the commercial got taken off uh i i thought it was hilarious absolutely hilarious and few people actually saw that commercial because it was taken off so fast it was taken off in like a week or less <laughs> but it was funny I thought it was pretty funny, and uh, it signified what a tough, tough guy and what a great defensive lineman John Randall was, because he kicked, he he was he was grilling Favre on the grill, right? <laughs> Little did we know, several years later, the absolute first ballot future Hall of Fame Brett Favre would be the quarterback of the Vikings and would have us five yards away from a potential game-winning field goal before Porter would break our hearts. Tracy Porter would break our hearts. And, of course, Brett Favre would break our hearts, making a dumb decision at the wrong time. But uh, John Randall, an absolute stud, and uh, I thank him thank him for everything he did to this team. He was, a, he was a little moody late in his career. In 99, he was extremely moody because of the Vikings. You know, that was the year after, 98, the year after the great, great team and the great, great choke, you could say, at the end. Very, very disappointing. And that was a team choke. It wasn't just Gary Anderson. Dennis Green choked by making a dumb decision. The defense let us down late late in that game on uh, multiple drives by the Falcons, of course, the game-winning field goal drive. And uh, Moss and Cunningham, they couldn't, they couldn't connect for nothing. I mean, it was like oil and water. There was no connection. They couldn't, there was no chemistry anymore for some odd reason. And uh, Cunningham couldn't reach Moss. Moss was never open. The defense was too good at the same time. Yeah. So John Randall and a lot of other guys in that team are pretty bitter the next year. And uh, when John Randall was on Mark Rosen, he pretty much uh, had an attitude the whole year, it seemed like, especially when they brought up 98. And every time they brought up 98, John Randall pretty much wanted to, you know, destroy Mark Rosen. He wanted to hit him like he was he was Brett Favre in Lambeau Field. He wanted to crush him. Uh, but aside of all that, John Randall, just a wonderful player, got a lot of, got a giant contract in 97 or after an unbelievable year, led the NFL in sacks that season. Just a huge season. And he was great for a while, started to get older, though. You could see his age starting to creep up on him. And uh, in 2000, it was his first year in a long, long time without double-digit sacks. He was very depressed. Went on to the Seahawks, had a couple of good years there, double-digit sacks, and then just got really, really old. And uh, that was the end of it. John Randall, though, again, thank you very much for the great career. All of us fans appreciate him very much. Unfortunately, well, they never retired his number, but it is done by a player that deserves to at least that at least deserves consideration to wear that number, Kevin Williams, who's had a nice career as well. Though, of course, certainly not nearly as under the radar as John Randall was at the time that he uh, first donned on number 93 for the Minnesota Vikings. And, uh, yeah, it's just been a... A lot of fun reminiscing about him, and uh, I hope you out there enjoyed it as well. Because now, I'm going to encourage you listeners out there to please call into the phone lines. Hey, talk about John Randall. Talk about the Super Bowl. Give me your opinions about anything I talked about today. Anything I talked about today. Anything you would like to talk about. Talk about maybe Chris Carter. Talk about your frustrations of watching these other teams win. You know, it's like watching, yeah, it's like watching... Your girlfriend, after she dumped you, get with some guy that, uh, you know, was a nerd and no, well, I have nothing against nerds. I'm one too. Of course, some of you would call me that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, a guy that never had a girlfriend in his life, all of a sudden he gets married and, and they have the greatest relationship ever. That's kind of what it was like with the Saints. The way they just broke our hearts. Yeah. Because our, our girlfriend would be that Vince Lombardi trophy. Yeah. No. No, no ring. We we never got to marry the trophy. You get the idea. Enough of that. Uh, so please do call in 209-736-7877. 209-736-7877. We'd appreciate it very much. 
Oh, and one final thing. One final thing. I don't know why I never mentioned it, but I'm going to mention it right now. I'm going to mention it right now. How fitting was it? One, how fitting was it? Remember how I mentioned the, uh, talked about the, uh, the Curse of 69. The Curse of 69, most of last show, right? And who was the quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs? The team that started that curse for us. Len Dawson. Who do you think presented the New Orleans Saints with the Vince Lombardi trophy last night? Len Dawson. And of course I know all of you saw it because it was the most watched program in history. But I had to bring that up. It just shows you, it's just like rubbing it in even deeper, isn't it? And nothing against Len Dawson. Great quarterback. He achieved something amazing to beat the Vikings that day. But by God, did that, that, that just made it hurt even more. So you get the idea. And I mentioned that on my Twitter. Again, twitter.com forward slash purple mafia show. You get the idea. Please do sign up for the message boards on the sportstuff.com. There's a button that says TSS boards in the upper right hand corner of the website. Simply click on that and then click register and you will be on board. You will not just talk sports, but get involved with the sportstuff.com. That is the slogan on that website. We can talk football, interact with me, vote on polls all over the place, NFL, and you can talk about any other sport as well. Basketball, hockey, baseball, poker, who knows, anything. Politics, there's the other section where you can talk about anything. So do get to that as soon as possible. I appreciate it very much. So again, thank you for listening. Thank you for making my most uh, recent show, my most listened to show in my history. It was amazing. I won't get into the numbers with you, but let's just say it was amazing. And that's after the Vikings lost and after a lot of you were probably pissed off and maybe sick of football, at least for a week or two after that. The frustration was off the charts. So again, thank you for listening and thank you for making Purple Mafia a major hit on the sportstuff.com and in the Twin Cities. I appreciate it very much. So we will get back to you in a week or so, depending on what news breaks. And we'll talk to you soon. Take care, everybody. 